0: Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. From the newsroom of The
1: Washington Post.
2: It's Robert Samuels from The Washington Post.
1: Host, this is Sarah Kaplan. Hi, this is Halahe Azadi with The Washington Post. Hey.
2: Nor- this is Post Reports.
1: I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, March 15th. Today, social media's role after the mass shooting at a New Zealand mosque. A Brexit deadline approaches, and the potential perils of free tax software. I'm 66, I never thought of my life. I'd love to see something like this. Not in New Zealand. On Friday, a gunman attacked two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. 49 people were killed, even more were injured. The alleged gunman was arrested and is being charged with murder. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern held a press conference to condemn the attack. There is no place in New Zealand for such acts of extreme and unprecedented violence, which it is clear this act was. A 74-page manifesto was posted online. The alleged gunman also appeared to use a helmet camera to live stream the massacre on Facebook. From there, it went viral.
2: In some cases, users were fed the video as it auto-played, so they didn't even explicitly choose to watch the video.
1: Hamza Shaban is a tech reporter for The Post. He says that social media played a major role in how news of the attack became public. The gunman's video spread across social media platforms, many of whom tried to take the video down.
2: But the problem is, the damage has already been done and people seeing it, and people continue to rebroadcast it and share it and view it.
1: Sites like Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube have rules against allowing violent videos on their feeds. But there are still ways for content to get through the cracks.
2: People can tweak The videos in small ways, like changing the sound or editing the picture or the speed that they play, and that will essentially evade detection, and the videos are allowed to be continued to spread.
1: What do tech companies say about how they'll be able to address these kinds
2: of videos going forward? So for recent months and years, they've made heavy investments in hiring people and in developing automated systems that detect abusive content. And they say it's a priority to make their platforms a safe and engaging place for their users. But critics question whether or not they're putting enough funds and they're making it as high a priority as it needs to be, given the repeated nature of incident after incident and in this latest case. We've
1: seen other incidents where people who are doing violent things are able to live stream what's happening and those videos are shared widely before companies like Facebook and YouTube can take them down. Are lawmakers looking at this? Are they concerned about whether tech companies are doing enough to prevent these kinds of incidents from happening?
2: I think there's going to be pressure on Capitol Hill to do more and in turn that will put pressure on the companies to do more. One specific problem with with live streaming is that it's hard for the systems to actually detect what's taking place in real time, which is a, a fundamental problem with being able to broadcast uh, live video to massive audiences. One major problem with the tool of live streaming is that Companies aren't able to pre-moderate what people are broadcasting, and that goes for regular social media posts too. And these networks are designed to be amplified; they're designed to maximize your reach, to reach the most amount of people. So policing them is almost against the the very nature of the platform itself, which is why it, it's so challenging to the tech companies.
1: Yeah, I wonder if their response to this is, "Look, we're doing the best that we can," but at the end of the day. It would be impossible to take down a live stream as it's happening. Like, there's no way for us to flag it quickly enough that people won't see it.
2: If there were ways to uh, delay a post or to view a post before it's broadcast, then that would clash against the kind of amplified nature and quick engagement that defines the, the social networks themselves. So there are a lot of different ways in which tech companies
1: police what we put online, right? A lot of companies have policies against nudity, and they'll take down anything that's posted on their website that has naked people, or, or sometimes those con- those policies are more controversial, like when it comes to showing pictures of of someone who's breastfeeding. But what makes this case different? Why weren't they able to take these videos down?
2: There's a technological challenge and a moderation challenge in figuring out what hate speech is and what these kind of abusive videos constitute in ways that may not be there for videos that show naked people or that contain copyrighted content. And I think that's, that's a big challenge for, for the tech companies in figuring out what that is. And I think the, the shooting in New Zealand highlights the problem there.
1: There's a lot of discussion right now about whether Congress and the federal government should be taking a more active role in regulating social media companies. Is that something that might get affected by this shooting?
2: This incident will will likely increase pressure for lawmakers to do more about what is taking place on social media networks. And these tech companies are largely shielded from being held liable for what users generate. And I think incidents like this will heighten the pressure on questioning maybe that shouldn't be the case. Government officials in New Zealand told the public there that they advised them that they shouldn't post clips of this video because it may be illegal for them to do so.
1: Are all of these videos now off of the internet, or are they still bouncing around the echo chamber of Reddit and 8chan with these images still reaching people?
2: There are images of the live stream that are being published by actual news media outlets. The actual video itself, I think you can still find versions of it, and people are actively mirroring and tweaking and reposting the video. But the tech companies say that they're actively removing it as we speak, and have been.
1: Hamza Shaban is a tech reporter for The Post. Mosques around the world were on high alert on Friday, as Muslims arrived for weekly prayer. Many cities dispatched police officers to stand guard outside. Today, during weekly prayers at Washington's Masjid Muhammad Mosque, local Muslims gathered in prayer in solidarity. Christian and Jewish leaders joined the mosque's imam, Talib Sharif, in condemning Islamophobic violence and urging vigilance within religious communities. the March 29th deadline for Britain to leave the European Union is getting closer and closer. And for the past two and a half years, ever since the Brexit referendum, Prime Minister Theresa May has insisted that there is no backing out. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. (laughs) Brexit means Brexit. The campaign was fought... The vote was held, turnout was high, and the public gave their verdict. Prime Minister.
3: Yes, can I say to my honourable friend, there has been much uh, sort of jocularity around the the, the term Brexit means Brexit, but it does mean Brexit.
0: People want to ensure... uh, I will repeat what I have said before. It's not like this deal lost by two or three votes. This deal got clobbered. This vote got creamed, right, twice by hundreds of votes wasn't close. So the the defeats were were big and people don't like this deal. Bill Booth is the London bureau chief for The Post. He says
1: that now even the departure date is up in the air.
0: March 29th is likely a scratch. So everyone who was uh, planning to either have a pity party or shoot off fireworks to celebrate their liberation from the Brussels bureaucrats or to sob into their glasses of 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 English champagne. That ain't going to happen on March 29th. They're not going to leave on March 29th. After a series of votes this week, we still don't know what Brexit
1: will look like or how it will happen.
0: First of all, there was a second vote on Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit deal, which was defeated in a humiliating defeat, almost as humiliating as the first time it was rejected. Then immediately after that, the next day, Parliament said, well, whoa, 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 wait. We don't want to leave the European Union with no deal. We don't want to crash out of the European Union with nothing uh, to wear. We want a a deal. So we don't want to leave with no deal. And uh, that's the will of the House of Commons. Then last evening, Theresa May came back and said, "Okay, folks, this is what we have you will either vote for my deal next week and then I will go to Brussels and ask for a short three-month extension in which we can then dot all the I's and cross all the T's and get this legislation completely done. Or if you don't support my deal next week, I will go to Brussels and ask for a very long extension. And that extension could be months to years.
1: And so if... Theresa May is not able to broker some kind of deal with the rest of parliament and to be able to go to the EU and say, look, we're working on it. We're really close or, you know, that we have some kind of agreement on terms for leaving. And you just need to give us a few more weeks to be able to dot all the I's and cross all the T's that if that doesn't happen, then the EU might just be like, well, if you want an extension, then the only extension you're going to get is Three years or, or, or something really long, that would basically mean that Brexit wouldn't happen anytime soon. What would happen if the EU decides, like, hey, we're not gonna. If you want an extension, the only one you're gonna get is super long.
0: If that's where they are, and that is that is a possible. That's that that's not uh, unrealistic. They could get somewhere like that. Then after everyone goes crazy here for an hour or two, they will start uh, plotting and they, will do se- they could do several different things. Um, the prime minister could call a snap election. She could say, this parliament is hopeless, it's not passing my deal, um, the, uh, the class is misbehaving, and they could have another election uh, to have uh, citizens vote for Labour Party or Tory Conservative Party or whatever party they want. And, and those parties will likely run on like nothing more than what their plan is for Brexit. So it will just be endless Brexit forever. Or <laughs> Theresa May might resign. Some people would like that, but that, that doesn't get us anywhere on getting a better Brexit deal that can pass. Or she might say, well, whoa, well, wait, really, seriously, we really don't want to crash out on March 29th. And in the very last hours, uh, Parliament might say... We hate this deal, but we don't want to crash out. We'll sign it.
1: But this deal is essentially the same deal that Theresa May has brought to to the Parliament over and over and over again. How is it that they are able to vote on the same thing so many times?
0: It's going to come back one more time. We think next week, next Tuesday or Wednesday. But you're 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 spot on. It's the same deal. Um, it's been the same deal. Part one, part two, and part three, the movie ain't changing.
1: It's just that it seems like lawmakers in the UK are feeling the pressure of this deadline. And even if they say that they are game for a hard exit, that they don't actually want that to happen.
0: Yes, there's a minority in parliament that is willing to hang glide off the cliff. Most don't want that. They're frightened of it. Their constituents are frightened of it. And the economists and the, the, the experts say this would be a bad, a very bad thing. So they don't want to leave with no deal. Some cynics might say that this is Theresa May's plan all the way, uh, all the whole time, that she would just keep pushing the deadline, pushing the deadline, pushing the deadline with this deal that not many people like, this unloved deal, up until the point where it was her deal or no deal or no Brexit. And that's, that's, that's where we are.
1: Bill Booth is the London bureau chief for The Post. And now one more thing. What happens to your tax return data when you use a free tax service? Well, like
3: everybody else, I have been inundated with ads and emails and pitches from companies to do your taxes for free. We're in the height of tax season and there are so many different services out there. That's our tech columnist, Jeffrey Fowler. But as I started looking at these ads, I remembered this age-old Silicon Valley adage, which goes, if the product is free, that means you're the product. And so I started wondering, gosh, why exactly are all of these services free? So I started just Making a spreadsheet is what I often do when I'm reviewing a
1: technology, listing out all the different companies that offered free tax service. And it turns out there are actually three different kinds of free tax prep services. One is provided by the IRS itself, but you need to make less than $66,000 a year to qualify. Another kind is software like TurboTax. They offer limited services for free, and then you have to pay to upgrade. But then there's the kind that you pay for with your privacy. That kind of service
0: is offered by websites like Credit Karma. Everybody loves free. Credit Karma tax. We're always free. File with someone who gets it.
1: You may have used Credit Karma before to check your credit score. It's one of the fastest growing companies in the financial tech industry. Now it's venturing into the world of free tax services. They've already had about a million people do taxes with them. So when you use Credit Karma Tax, what it's doing is taking
3: the data from your tax return, all of that personal information about your income and how much you pay on your mortgage, and adding that to its dossier about you so it can target its financial offers directly at you. So they're ads for things like new credit cards and home loans and personal loans. Um, it turns out that the bank industry and the credit card industry waste a lot of money uh, sending people. Offers for new credit cards to their house. You probably get a bunch of these that people A don't want or B might not even qualify for. So, over the last couple of years, a lot of them have started doing business with this company called Credit Karma. Look, for many people, the pitch of a free online service
1: is all but irresistible. What Credit Karma is doing with your data is pretty similar to what Facebook does, it's not selling your information. It's using it to allow advertisers to target you with very specific ads.
3: So instead of a news feed about what your friends are doing or the latest headlines, uh, Credit Karma offers essentially a news feed about your financial life. That model has proven very profitable for, uh, for Facebook, but it's also proven that we have lots of problems, right? One of the lessons I've learned from the last couple of years and all the data privacy scandals is that the ethical way to handle sensitive data in 2019 is to simply not collect it at all. Uh, and what 's more alarming is that the data that Credit Karma tax is collecting is much more sensitive. I mean it really doesn't get much more sensitive than your tax returns other than maybe your you know your, your health records. This is really you know the keys to
1: the kingdom when it comes to your life Credit Karma's position on this is that their practices are actually good for customers to help them find the best financial services for their needs. So then it's up to the customer to evaluate.
3: Is it worth it is the question we have to ask anytime there's some kind of data exchange going on. To me, it still is not worth it because this is some really sensitive data we're talking about here. This is, here's your income and here's your cash flow and here's how much you pay on your mortgage, and here's how much in debt you are. And Credit Karma is asking, unless you know where to look and opt out, they're asking to hold on to that data for 10 years and to do basically whatever they want to with it in that time. In the startup world, 10 years could mean a completely different business model, completely different management. They could be owned by a different company. They could be in an entirely different business by then. And yet you've consented that they can hold on and use your data as they want.
1: Jeffrey Fowler is a tech columnist for The Washington Post. That's it for Post Reports. Our executive producer is Madalika Sika. Our senior producer is Matt Collette. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rena Flores, Lena Mohammed, Maggie Penman, Jordan Marie Smith, and Ted Muldoon, who composes original music and does sound design for the show. The post's director of audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from the Washington Post.
3: When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com/disclosures for details.